and welcome to another episode of Planning People, the anime podcast. This week we have back in the studio a guest from a few episodes back when we were discussing how advisors should sell their businesses properly. We didn't really feel like we'd finished that conversation, so we've arranged part two now, which we're going to do now after I've introduced my guest now. Uh, Peter Trotman joined us last time to chat about this. He is a broker who works with IFAs in this space and he knows, shall we say, a lot about this. Uh, Peter, thank you for joining us. How are you today? Yeah, thanks, Ollie, for... uh uh, invited me along again. Uh, looking forward to it, and I'm very impressed with the new studios we have here. Uh, the lighting and everything. I feel uh, feel like I'm on TV, but without the cameras. Very good uh, for for listeners at home here who uh, perhaps don't know what's going on. We have a new studio as a result of our office move. It's very swanky. You'll be seeing more of it in the coming weeks, no doubt. Um, Peter, you probably think that having suffered the indignity of the weekly podcast quiz last time we met, that I would let you off the hook hook this time. Uh, you'll be pleased to hear that that is absolutely not the case. Oh. Uh, and that we're going to do a journey beyond your comfort zone for a quiz on the topic of vision. <laughs> I thought this would be appropriate because your business is called Vision Advisors, business, Vision Business Advisors. I know a thing or two about vision, or so my pre-prepared questions and answers inform me. So I have a few questions for you. Uh, question one, we'll start with the eyes, Peter. That's where vision occurs. How many times, Peter, do you think humans blink per day? Think in the ten th- tens of thousands. I would say it's probably something like 30,000. You are so close. Oh. It's a whopping 28,800. Oh, well, <laughs> But that outstanding answer. Humans blink on average 15 to 20 times per minute, apparently. That's up to 1,200 times per hour. And as I said, a whopping 28,800 times in a day. Uh, when you're staring at a computer screen as I do, it doesn't entirely feel like that, but I'll take their word for it. Uh, question two, very good, Peter. Let's keep it going. Music. We talked about music last time, didn't yes. we? And in particular, the music of sensationalist operatic rockers Queen, uh, with which I think you're familiar. Queen opened the first night of their It's a Kind of Magic Wembley Stadium gig with the song One Vision, uh, which is about Martin Luther King. But in what year did that concert take place? I'll give you a choice of three. Was it 85, 86 or 87? I'm going to go for 85. It was 86. Um, You know, we spoke about Bohemian Rhapsody, the film, uh, last time. Uh, That was in 1985. So that charted their journey to Live Aid in in 1985. Uh, But the band returned to play two nights at the venue the following year. If you haven't seen that, by the way, if anyone's listening to this who has not watched that gig, there is a DVD online of it. Uh, Do watch it. It's absolutely class. And if you get a chance, throw a tomato at our news editor, Charles, who has described Queen as, and I quote, the most overrated band in history. Moving on. (laughs) Question three. You're doing very well, Peter. Opticians. Vision Express is a well-known high street opticians brand. Its major competitor is obviously Specsavers. But when was Vision Express established? Vision Express, is that the company that uh, head office is based in the Channel Islands? I don't know. Uh, Right. Uh, That sounds like the sort of thing that they may strenuously deny. Right, okay, well, I'm I'm pretty sure they are based in the Channel Islands, but it's either Vision Express or Specsavers, I can't remember, one's a franchise. Um, I've got a feeling it's the Specsavers. So Vision Express, I'm going to go... I'm going to go way back. I, I can imagine being set up in London in something like the mid-60s or something like that. I mean, you're right with kind of way back. It was actually 1988. Oh, right. Um, okay, so it's... You're, you're yeah, off mark yeah. with the location. It, yeah. was, it started in 1988 at the Metro Centre in Gateshead. Oh, right. So okay. somewhere, north, somewhere north of London. But uh, it, interesting logic there. I'm impressed by that. Um, obviously, it was quickly followed by a number of other shops. It now has 390 stores throughout the United Kingdom, apparently. Question four. The Bible... How well do you know your Bible? Uh, 
yeah, can we have some more music questions, please? <laughs> well, maybe maybe at the end. Maybe okay, all on. right. Okay. Um, so visions are a central part of the biblical narrative. Which biblical figure receives a vision of God's word in the book of Genesis, telling him that he will, in fact, have a child? Is it Abraham, Adam, or Saul? Well, the obvious one is, is I was going to say, not there uh, for me, but... Uh, um, did you go Abraham? Yes. It is Abraham. Right. When Abraham expresses doubt about whether he will have a child, God visits him and says that Eliezer of Damascus will not inherit his estate and that he will, in fact, have a baby of his own. Very good. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Well done. There's a long time ago for both of us, I suspect, I learning expect. all that at school. Yes. Yeah. Um, question five. It's getting harder now. Classic hymns. <laughs> In the Irish hymn, Be Thou My Vision, connection, whose English version was rewritten by Eleanor Hull in 1912, we sing that we do not heed two things, riches and what other thing. That's a tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. Didn't cover question. No, I don't pass. It's actually, this, it is a didn't cover question. Incredibly mean of me to put it in. It's man's empty praise. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, though mine inheritance now and always. An absolutely beautiful piece of music. And we'll move on from the pain of that quiz. Peter, you've done very well. Thank you for uh, putting up with that and for humoring me. And we are here, of course, to talk about the sale of advice businesses. Um, I'm quite excited to talk to you about this because in our chat beforehand, you told me some quite interesting things which i think we should run through first and um, this for me is very much a case of you know your independent advice businesses and their future uh, but it would of course be silly to ignore the news this morning that quilter the listed wealth management and national advice business has bought the lighthouse network for a whopping 46 million pounds uh, it's obviously no secret that quilter is a hungry business peter but i wondered what you made of that acquisition this morning well I, I, I was interested, but not surprised. Sure. Uh, Quilter are, uh, compared to, say, SJP uh, as a competitor with their, uh, who are also very hungry to grow the advisor numbers. Uh, to me, SJP are doing it via recruiters on the ground. Mm. And um, I had a conversation yesterday with, with uh, somebody, and we were talking that we worked out that uh, SJP have got sort of nine recruiters for every uh, one quilter recruiter. So obviously, uh, going to the marketplace, trying to rec recruit people on a one-to-one -one basis, it's, it's not obviously what quilter are about. Uh, and obviously, Lighthouse, it's, it's let's buy it and buy it big. Um, but it will come a time when they'll run out of companies to buy. Um, although, with my thinking cap on, there probably are still... Um, a, a few more that uh, potentially are, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm not going to say here now. But uh, sure. there's one in particular. But uh, yes, there's there's still room in the room in the cupboard, providing they've got the money. I'm sure Quilter will have the money to uh, carry on doing these deals. Um, the one that it, I suppose comment I would have with it is it. Um, if somebody is individually recruited into a firm, they obviously make the conscious decision of joining that company. Uh, if somebody is the company their network are linked to is, is suddenly been bought, then it's not their decision. So I think Quilters, you know, if I was Quilter, obviously integration is very much integrating those those advisors, that network within the whole Quilter umbrella is very very important mm -hmm. uh, because those advisors obviously are, are, have not chosen to go there um, 
not saying anything wrong with a quilter deal at all, but um, it's, a, it's a completely different deal than somebody's actually made a conscious decision to walk across the threshold. Mm. So that would be interesting to watch how many advisors will be left or will they will retain in the medium to longer term. Mm. We'll be sure to keep an eye on that. Yeah. Thank you for that assessment. That's very interesting. Um, my second question really is what's changed since we last spoke? Because we recorded the first... Uh, episode shall we say of this podcast on kind of acquisitions and IFA sales in November way back in November when the idea of Brexit actually turning into an actual Brexit seemed more feasible than it currently does and it seemed pretty dire then um, before the end of 2018 I note five more IFAs sold their businesses according to our records and in 2019 so far alone a further 14 IFA businesses that we are aware of have sold up possibly more though does that echo your own experience of movements in the market Peter and and I you know specifically nudge you at this point to tell me about your theory about numbers and supply and demand here okay right well it's a, a huge, uh, a, well, a huge problem uh, going forward. Um, the market itself at this moment in time, we've got the PI issue, but I'll, I'll park that to one side for a minute, and we'll talk about we'll talk about numbers and and the marketplace. Now, I've seen several figures quoted. Uh, average age of an IFA uh, is is sixty. Um, I wouldn't dispute that. I think that's about right. Um, the likes of uh, sort of SJP and some of these companies are saying there's about 7,000 advisors who are in that age range uh, who are looking or they think will do something over the next three years. I think personally it may be five years, but even so, um, if you look at how many advisors that, that, that equates to and then how many businesses and then actually then the funds under management – um, looking at my numbers, I, I think that comes out at about 200 billion, which, uh, as I said to you earlier, it's, it's, it's like the SJP, uh, and I'm not naming them, but it's an easy one to, people can relate to. Sure. It's like SJP shutting their sales force twice over. Um, so where does that leave the marketplace? Well, if we look at uh, quilters, we look at the bigger players, they have got the academy schools. They're producing advisors, uh, producing level four advisors. They will go, they were producing probably 200, uh, 200 here, 200 there. Across the marketplace, you're probably looking at six, 700 absolute tops per year. It's going to be a huge, huge shortfall. Um, so if you're an advisor looking to sell your business in, say, two years' time, three years' time, uh, is there going to be anybody out there is a... It's got the capacity, um, not not the purchasing power, but this is about integration, actually servicing your clients. And, and under MIFID, you can't, obviously, you're not going to be charging clients if you're not doing that job. Um, so I'm saying to people today, where, where are the financial advisors going to be to service those clients, which you could be in two years' time, three years' time, running a business, and all of a sudden finding there isn't anybody out there to buy your business. But it is a, you know, it is a hot potato. And I don't think at this moment in time, a lot of um, uh, people in, in the marketplace, whether they be uh, sole traders or whether they, they're actually the bigger purchasers that, that started to look at uh, what could happen. And uh, if you do the numbers, then there is a massive shortfall. And, and I've got this, my mantra at the moment when I'm talking to 
uh, any uh, advisors that are looking to sell their business, it's a case of, well, if you are looking to sell, it's better to be at the front of the queue than at the back of the queue. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think some of these people, some of the guys who are going to sit and sit on it and sit on it, uh, when they get to the back of the queue, they're going to find that there's very few takers. Uh, and then the other issue that that, that comes on to, and, and this is another, is, is the age of their clients. So obviously their clients are going to get older with them, and that means that under uh, FCA rules, uh, as a purchaser or acquirer, whatever you want to call the, the, the company, um, they're not going to want to buy a whole lot of clients that are of a certain age that the reg regulator will, will class as, um, you know, high high risk clients because of their age of vulnerable clients. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's, there's quite a bit of items going forward sure. yeah. what does this do to the question of you know the value of businesses you know well supply and demand what does supply that and demand is um that the, the, the there's plenty going to be plenty of supply mm. but whether there's going to be the, the demand the demand's always going to be there but i think the um in fact case i think i know that regular um the purchasers acquirers um, consolidators, all these words that they use, I just call them purchasers because at the end of the day, that's yeah, what it that's is. That's what they do. That's what they do. They buy a business. Um, they are becoming more choosy. Mm -hmm. And and um, the days of having a business and then having several potential purchasers are, are going. They're, in some cases, I, you know, I get different businesses across my desk to have a look at. And in some cases, they, I look at it and think, this guy is going to struggle. Uh, to sell his business. Mm, okay. This just sounds like um, a bit of a change in tone, perhaps, from when, from when we last spoke. I mean, I know we were joined by the wonderful Chris Budd of Asian Finance, who was sure to lift the tone in any uh, conversation <laughs> because he was so optimistic about the prospect of employee ownership trusts. But, um, you know, I'm sensing a bit of a shift here, you know, perhaps a little bit more worry about this. And, um, you know, perhaps uh, perhaps I hadn't realised myself that this could be a case of uh, get in there while the going's hot if you need to find that exit plan. Um, let's move on to the professional indemnity insurance issue because you mentioned that. Um, professional indemnity insurance is still clearly huge, a huge issue for advisors. I think we've done a couple of stories since we spoke about people who, who'd seen dramatic mm. rises in their premiums. Uh, and last time you told us about contact of yours who was being quoted, you know, a similarly large increase in their cover. Um, that seems to me to be a ticking clock. Yes. How long is the clock going to run for? I would say most advisors I speak to um, have taken, and, and this is affecting the smaller end advisor, because the way the PI market is, is worked is that the it's very loaded against the uh, one, two man, three man smaller advisor firms. Um, it's 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 very much loaded. That's the way it is. You can't do anything about it, but that, that's the way it is. Uh, a lot of them are sort of saying, "Well, look, I I will pay it this year." However, if it does again, if it increases again next year, then it's going to be that's it. I'm I'm walking away from it. Um, I've also got uh, advisors who are still debating because they haven't had their increase yet. But obviously, with the, uh, the regulator bringing in, sending out an email on a Friday evening, uh, saying that they've got to make sure by Friday this week that their 
uh, PI cover has got to be compliant. Mm -hmm. uh, knowing how long uh, dealing with PI broker for them to get back to the insurer, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, there's going to be, I, I would say, several uh, or more than several uh, firms uh, on Friday this week. Uh, will they have compliant cover? realistically they won't know at this moment in time so again uh the pi issue will not go away um talking to chap the other day you know it'd gone from five percent of his turnover to 20 percent of his turnover uh if it does again the same again next year then um he will you know shut up shop so you you've, you've got a i suppose what they call a perfect storm of of all these items coming in yeah. uh, to to affect the uh, sale of businesses and the value of business. Sure. Um, let's talk about process, because when it comes to someone wanting to sell up, I think one of the things perhaps we didn't go into as much detail about last time was that process. Um, and it strikes me you probably know quite a lot about that. As a broker, generally, what is the process that you witness when an advice firm is approached by a purchaser? Um, shall we say, first of all, let's probably like start off with how, how long would you say it normally takes to, well, to complete the sale of a business? The process is actually increasing time, time frame-wise. Um, purchasers, because they are, there is more choice for them. Um, they can take their time. Uh, so the, the process would be they have a meeting. Um, I always suggest having almost like a what they call a get together meeting from a point of view of uh, it's almost like a meeting of minds whether your culture and your business would fit ourselves as the acquirer coming in um, if that then fits then they can talk about the numbers uh, then it then will go to due diligence if there is staff involved then obviously they've got to be notified um, but the, the process does take I would say something like a six-month process now uh, I have known ones that go longer than six months but the I always say to people allow at least six months for a for a, a, a process to go from uh, when you initially meet to actually uh, completing mm, okay and the onus is on the purchaser to obviously do some due diligence absolutely the pressure's increasing there right? yeah absolutely and, and again the the uh, there are still I, I say to people that are looking at the marketplace, the advisor firms, they need to have uh, make sure their back office system is up to date. Uh, it's surprisingly, there are still companies out there. Uh, it's 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 really in the directly authorised marketplace where they haven't got. If they're via network, the network obviously has a, a format that they their framework for them to funnel their business through, and then it's all registered, and so they've got a, a very good. Um, in most cases, uh, you know, SP to show the prospective acquirer. Some of the ones I've got people that, you know, run their own uh, back office system. So it's their own <laughs> via some, uh, uh, you know, software system. They in, had part, part paper, part software. Anyway, it's, yes, it does happen still, yeah. believe it or not. Um, those, I say to be, you know, if, if somebody can't see the funds, if they can't see it, they're not going to, give you the, the, the price you want. So it's no good saying, uh, as I spoke to somebody the other day, believe it or not, and it, and it seems incredible in this day and age, uh, speaking to an advisor who said he had somewhere between 30 and 50 million. That's a big... That's a big, big... That's yeah. a lot of millions to not be sure about. <laughs> not sure about. So, uh, But they are out there still. 
Okay. That, that is an unusual one, but yeah. So your advice being there, get your house in order, guys. Absolutely, absolutely, Please. yeah, yeah. And and some of the, uh, without mention, promoting any any um, back office system, some of the systems are um, the, the acquiring company coming in, they've got their own software system, and that will actually talk to the back office system of the uh, advisor that's looking to sell, so they can actually morph across all his information, uh, and, and so that makes the due diligence process a lot easier for yeah. both sides. Um, let's talk about the payments, because it's not just a one-off cash lump sum, is it, nowadays? It can be several sets of payments and there's things like downstream buyout yes. uh, systems yeah. what are your stan- what's your stance on that i mean it, presumably that's on one level a good thing to ensure that the purchaser knows that they're getting a good deal and then can follow through afterwards but also it does create complication doesn't it yes and we know from the bad stories and we won't name any names that there are some people who just walk away as purchasers from that process and kind of gamble on the person that they've sort of fobbed off, not really having any recourse to justice or payment. So, you know, how how do we know that, that that system is working or not? Okay, uh, I there's three types really of, of, of payment. Uh, I'll talk about the first one, which is the old-fashioned one. Yeah. Which and, and the old-fashioned uh, days where you know you were thinking of retiring, and um, uh, people, so you would go along to maybe the uh, company in the local, the next town, say, look, I'm looking at retiring. I will hand over my clients to you um, and you all agree that there's a renewal stream or recurring income stream and then uh, the the company that are taking on the client base will pay a percentage of that recurring income for five years, ten years or, or whatever. Um, and that was used to be the really about the only choice. Mm. Um, my personal take on that is it's fraught with issues because obviously you don't know what the regulator is going to do next year. You don't know what's going to happen. You're relying on the company you've given your clients across to that they're going to be trading in five years' time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's no point giving it to a company if the if the guy if you're retiring um, and uh, the guy is running the business you're giving your clients to is the same age as you. You know, he's going to want to retire at some point. So those type of deals, my my attitude there is if 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 a company is not prepared to put any money on the table, so to invest in your business, mm. then if you're just passing them across, then really longer term, um, for me that's a big no-no. And and it's all and it's on a it's it really is. Are we going to see the the money? Uh, so we'll park those. That's that's one one system. I, and I call that the old-fashioned way. There are still companies out there that do it, and and um, I still come across now and again advisors that opt for that system. That's fine. Everybody's got a choice. Um, the second, or if, if I want to do the second one is the, what they call this downstream buyout option. Mm. Um, again, you know, I mean, you're, you're joining a firm uh, on the pretext that they are going to buy you out uh, in five years' time. Um, they, in some cases, you haven't, they haven't committed any money on the table, mm. so they've got you you're well ensconced in their in their framework. Mm. Uh, and then in five years' time, you you have got then maybe a little bit of a, a difficult one to 
you know reverse out of uh, and and again you I had some figures quoted to me on one particular company that quote were quoting six times income um, now everybody knows in the marketplace if somebody quotes you six times then um, the old adage about you know if it sounds good too good to be true. It, it is. probably is. probably is. Uh, and when I actually did the figures, because their six times was different to what I would call my, what I work on, uh, we tracked it back. It worked out at about 2.6 of recurring. So, uh, it, 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 yeah, I mean, that was, that was a particular example. Um, the third example, which I, I would recommend, and, and the reason I recommend it is because when you purchase, somebody's going to buy your business, it's the companies that are going to put money on the table on day one. Mm. And those are the deals I recommend. Um, there are some companies out there that uh, the second and third payments, you will uh, maybe have to check the small print and make sure you know, you're going to get uh, all of the second and third. Mm. Um, people are concerned about that, but I certainly on the deals I've done, um, I've had a, a very, very good, in fact, um, let's put it this way, nobody's ever come back to me and said, that company you put me in contact with, we did the deal and, and I had problems on second and third payments. So it's, it's, you've, you've got to search the marketplace. There are some companies that I don't deal with. Mm. There are some companies that I have done several deals into double figures and which I would recommend um, and, and you will get the money. The, the retention, one of the things, and this always comes up with, with, with retiring advisors, uh, they say, well, what about my clients? You know, how do I know the company coming in is going to uh, keep my clients so I'm going to get those second and third payments? Mm. And I will say to client, the, the, the advisor, I said, well, if you... Um, say to your client that this is the right choice for you. So this company, you know, I'm retiring, but this this company is a really good company. I can you know, recommend you 100% that they're going to look after you. 99% of clients will will be happy with that. Because what else are they going to do? Are they going to think, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go online and look at vouch for unbiased and all this and then go through all the pain of looking for a new advisor when they've, when they've got a, a very good recommendation yeah. from their retiring advisor who a lot of the business I deal with will, will want him to be around. Not on a nine-to-five basis, five days a week, but just in the background. Yeah. So if a client has got a question, they can, They're still a familiar he's, face. He's still a familiar face to speak to them. Mm. What happens if it goes wrong? I mean, when these contracts, uh, when people sign these sorts of contracts, you know, what, what uh, shall we say, what sections are available to them that give them perhaps a, you know, a little bit of wiggle room if they're not happy? Is it, is it literally this one signature and, you know, you sign your life away? Or is there a way of an IFA coming back and saying, well, you know, we're... we're a year and a bit into this plan that we had, mm. I'm not happy anymore. Mm. Can we back out of it? I will say to advisors that if they try and get some uh, the line drawn up to, to say if it's not right, they can take the clients back. Now, obviously, um, it would have to be pretty um, you know, big circumstances mm. for that to happen. Sure. Um, but... If their legal can their legals can put a line in just saying if they don't get the second and third payments, then they they can default back to the existing advisor. Now I know the advisor then won't be directly authorised anymore, but uh, there there is a way of of, of hopefully uh, not having that issue. Um, 
in, and also the advisors, you know, they, they need to be absolutely comfortable with that company. Um, and, and the company, you know, on the second and third payments, yes, there are, I, I mean, I'm not going to, because I don't want to be sued, but um, <laughs> there are one or two companies that I probably would say, you know, if, out, of, out of 10, uh, they would probably be my 10th choice. I'd start off with that one is number one. And, yeah. you know, they, they'd be, so it's, it's just the, the advisor to ask questions, um, check, you know, sometimes get a couple of offers, but also I think it's 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 the culture. You know, get a feel for the company. If you feel that they're the right business for you and right for your clients, um, then they will be right in the long run. Mm. Um, and and if you're not too happy with a company, but they're paying you top dollar, that's probably the ones to be wary of because you think, oh well, they're not quite what I want, but they're paying me more than what they've offered me yeah so it's too um, good to be true yeah <laughs> and it's going back to that one and it, and it's um the other one i've got these all these sort of sayings is um you know it's not about the highest offer it's about how much money you're going to get mm, okay okay so i would yeah that's interesting uh a cheeky question pals to what extent is the success of these deals predicated upon having a good lawyer uh you know, are we talking about, you know, small independent firms who go out into the village looking for a lawyer? It turns out that the lawyer's crap and messes it all up. Um, or is that less of a factor? It's, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of lawyers, unfortunately, uh, for them. Um, it doesn't make a lot of difference. It doesn't. It Honestly, you and... and That's quite I, good I, news. I, I would say you... <laughs> well, don't get me talking about lawyers in these deals because <laughs> I... Um, yes, they can get very expensive. Very sure. expensive. And, um, it, it, you know, the wheel's already been in, invented once, so they try and reinvent it again. And, um, yes, I think it's... It, there is a a going rate really for these deals you know, within reason. Um, but there are some, sometimes people do push the envelope a little bit. Um, Twas ever thus, I suppose, in, in, in many professions. How, how much do you think on average would you say, just off the top of your head, an advisor could expect to pay in legal fees for the sale of a, you know, a, a business with, say, I don't know, yeah, 10 advisors? Um, I... I think it, it depends how well the advisor knows the, the lawyer. I mean, you, we're, we're talking, uh, I suppose, on average, with anything from five thousand upwards. Um, I've you know I've known people pay a lot more than that, a lot lot more. Um, I've known people pay a few thousand. Um, I've known people you know just pay a one-off fee. The lawyer looks, you know, they get a decent. Lo not local necessarily, but a business. Somebody who's done business transfer, yes, uh, and just over uh, look through the contract, um, and uh, and then say, you know, yes, that contract looks good, uh, and that will cost a one-off fee. Now, if if that's the case, and the purchasing company uh, has done quite a few deals, mm -hmm. then I would also go to the purchasing company and and say, can I speak to people who have done a deal with you? Because actually, they're better. They're the ones to ask. So you've done, you know, you've done ten purchases over the last twelve months. Can I go and have a chat with some of these people that uh, have, have sold to you? 
you know, can I pick the phone up and, and, and find out their their experiences of, of dealing with um, this consolidator or purchaser, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it, it's, that, that's a good uh, benchmark to get a feel for, for its right. If you get a purchasing company who sort of turn around and go, well, oh, it's all a bit awkward, and, and I've had um, and I've had ones things like data protection, and we can't do that because it's data protection, yeah. uh, etc. Then you you probably got to look at it and think, well, why are they? <laughs> yes. Why are they withholding? <laughs> Correct. Why why is a prospective seller, you know, not not being able to speak to maybe some some uh, people that have already exited? Mm. Uh, in some cases, some advisors probably think, well, I can't, you know, I've retired. Yes, who cares? Um, who cares? I'm out, gone, got my money, and off I go. Mm. Um, yeah. Awesome. Um, thank you for that, Peter. I'm afraid to say that that's all that we've got time for this week, but suffice to say that if you like our lovely little podcast, please do subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review if you're feeling generous. A nice review, thanks. Um, thanks finally to you, Peter, for joining me. It's been great to have you in again, and great to have you in the new surroundings of our brand new studio. You'll be seeing a lot more of that, I hope. Um, if, like Peter, you are interested in this topic and want to talk to us about it, possibly in confidence, don't hesitate to get in touch. Bit of a nudge and a wink there. Uh, it can be confidential. Send us a letter or an email. Until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.